family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville as well as those that are gathered in our sanctuary service. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6. Uh, today we continue in a series we've been in now for several weeks. Uh, we've been going through the book of Hebrews in a series called No Going Back, uh, a series that's really meant to uh, challenge you in your faith, encourage you uh, to keep pressing on, uh, even in the difficulties of life. And uh, boy, today I've got a, a message that I just believe is really going to encourage you. Uh, who's excited for encouragement today? Right? Very nice, warm Minnesota morning. Uh, nothing better than to be here in Lakeville and Sanctuary and just be encouraged in Christ. Okay? Uh, and that's particularly good given last week was a very intense text that was a warning passage. And so now we're going to follow that up with just something that I believe will encourage your faith today. And so let's look here, Hebrews 6. Beginning of verse 13, if you're able to stand in all of our locations, would you please do so? It's just the way here at Berean that we honor the Word of God and recognize that it comes to us with the very authority of God. Verse 13, the writer here is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely... I will bless you and multiply you. Thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie... We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Let's pray. And and each week I ask you to do that, and I I hope that you will. Like Pray right now for me, and and trust that I will be faithful to the Word, and that God, in this moment, will speak to us. That's what we're here for, right? So let's pray. God, come, talk to us by your living Word that you breathed out. The Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, come, Fill us now, lead us, guide us into truth, encourage our hearts. It is so easy to be discouraged and weary and tired in life, and and so we just need a word from you today. And God, I know I can't do this. Um, I'm very dependent upon you. And so just come in your power and proclaim your truth in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Please be seated. Daddy, can we build a fort? It was the question that a seven-year-old boy in Jim Kern's book, Build the Fort Today, asked his father. His father, who could see the excitement on his son's face, uh, replied, Of course, we will build a fort together, I promise. 
The boy was excited. From that moment on, all he could think about was building a fort with his father. So the next day came, his father came home from work. Little boy ran up to him and said, Daddy, Daddy, is today the day? Do we get to build the fort today? And and the father said, no, son, not today. I'm exhausted. The next night, the boy ran up to him again. Daddy, Daddy, is today the day? Is today the day we get to build the fort? And once again, the father said, no, not today. I've got a lot of work to do. The next night, the boy comes up again and asks the question. Once again, the father declines and says this, Son, your mother and I made a promise to be somewhere tonight, and you know how important it is to keep a promise, right? So eventually, the little boy just stopped asking. A few weeks later... One morning at breakfast, the father looks at the son and says, tonight's the night. Tonight's the night we build the fort. The little boy's face lit up. He smiled from ear to ear. Uh, He went to school that day. The final bell rang. He jumped over his desk. He bolted out the door. He ran as fast as his legs could go. He couldn't wait to get home and build the fort with his father. Unfortunately, he was so focused on getting home that he never saw the car that hit him. And the father got to the hospital just in time before his son would pass. And he sat there by the bed, and his son looked at him and said this, Daddy, I guess we won't get to build that fort together after all. I need to talk to you for just a moment. Has anyone ever made you a promise they didn't keep? Have you ever made a promise you didn't keep? You see, my guess is this morning is that we can relate to this in some way because every one of us has experienced that feeling of broken promises. You know what I'm talking about. I cleaned my room. I promise. I will lower taxes. I promise. I will be there for your birthday. I promise. I won't take another drink. I promise. Your job is is safe. I promise. I will always be by your side. I promise. Why do you have that feeling that many of you have right now? Why is it that there's a little bit of an uneasy feeling that starts to come into our stomach? We we start to feel this way. Why is it? It's because everybody in some way has either broken a promise or had a promise broken. But still, why does it make us feel that way? Here's at least one reason why. It's because promises provide security. They are intended to be something that we can believe in, something that we can count on, something that assures us that in the darkness of night, it'll still be there in the morning. And I don't know everything about you, but I know this about you. I know this about every single one of you. It's this. Everybody wants an anchor. 
Everybody wants an anchor. Everybody wants something in their life that is certain and secure, something they can believe in. Here's the problem. It is very hard to find security in a world full of insecurities. Listen to Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. You make all these promises when you don't have a clue. James gives us a similar uh, uh, truth in James 4 verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there and trade and make a profit. In other words, you make all these promises and all these plans, but verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You make all these promises because you presume that you are in control, but the truth is you don't know. Um, here's a quote from my good friend. He's a man by the name of Coelith. You've heard of him, right? I, we haven't heard from him in a while, and I miss him. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, life is a riddle you can't solve. The only Certainty in life is uncertainty. Where only Coelith could put us in that kind of mood. And I thought you said, Pastor, this was going to be encouraging. Well, it is, because here's the good news. You ready for some good news? That's just reality. That wasn't being pessimistic. That's just real. That's just honest. That's just the way life is in this world. But here's good news. Just because life is full of insecurities does not mean you can't have a life that is secure. Just because life is full of insecurities does not mean that you can't have a life that's secure. It just means this, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody right here. It just means you're going to have to find your security outside this world. It doesn't mean that there's not security. It just means you got to look in the right place. Because if this life proves anything, it is full of broken promises. That is exactly what the author deals with here in Hebrews chapter 6. Now, why would they need this? Let me remind you quickly of the context. This letter is written to, right here, Christians that are suffering for their faith and as a result, slipping in their faith. You with me? They're suffering in their faith, and that's causing them to to slip or drift in their faith. Now, that creates two kinds of insecurities. One is physical. How am I going to eat? Am I going to be able to hold down a job? Can I provide for my family? What will my future be? Will I be able to get through this week? Will they throw me into prison? Those are the physical insecurities. And then the, the slipping in their faith creates spiritual insecurities. It's why the warning was given earlier in this chapter. If you continue down this path, you may end up proving that you don't belong to God. That you just experience the external blessings of God, but you're not actually a part of the people of God. And so with physical insecurities on one hand and spiritual insecurities on the other hand, in a crisis of faith and life, listen, this author gives them an anchor. This author gives them an anchor and it is the promises of God. Look at it. I'm so excited to teach this. Look at verse 13. Can you tell? For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply 
you. What the author wants to do at the beginning of this passage is he wants these readers to know that God's promises are a sure thing. They are certain. They are true. And so he brings up Abraham. Now, why does he bring up Abraham? Just kind of out of the blue. He's talking about all these different things. And, and then it's just like, boom, Abraham. Well, let me show you why Abraham. Go back to verse 11, just a couple of verses back, and, and watch the flow of the passage. I want to connect these. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but, now watch this, here we go, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So everybody right here, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody listen up. The flow of the passage is like this. Don't be like those who fell away, verses 4 through 6. Be like those who walk by faith, verses 11 and 12. Does everybody see that? Don't be like those who fall away. Be like those who walk by faith. Now, let me give you an example of someone who walked by faith. Exhibit A, Abraham. And what better example to give Hebrew Christians than, I don't know, like the guy who started their whole nation? Is there a better example to give them than Abraham? I think not. And he says, remember Abraham. Do you remember when God called him out of the land of Ur that, that he, he, he left all of his security behind? He left all of his relatives, his city, his land, everything he left behind. And God call, called him to go somewhere. And do you remember the conversation? God, where am I going? And God said, I'll tell you when you get there. <laughs> well, how's that for security? Right? And you in the ancient Near East, you don't just pack up the station wagon and just easily move over to the next state and something like that, you know? That's not how it worked. I mean, to, to get up and move and go somewhere meant leaving everything behind, all of your comfort, all of your security. It wasn't easy, but he trusted it didn't feel certain in terms of the circumstances, but he believed. Or what about when God promised Abraham a son? He mentions this in verse 14. You remember that Abraham had no children at that point, and he was 75 years old. In fact, do you remember Sarah's response when Abraham told her? She thought it was hysterical. You must be crazy. 75 years old, going to have a, a son. But Abraham trusted. He believed or what about when, when God provides Abraham that son, as he said he would, Isaac, and then he tells Abraham to offer Isaac up as a sacrifice, and Abraham's about to do it until God tells him to stop. And then he reassures the promise to Abraham with an oath, and Abraham believes. Here's the point. Here's the point. Okay, come here, come here. Abraham's not a perfect dude. He's not a perfect guy. Okay, we get that. But here's what he is an example of. He trusted the promise of God in the uncertainties of life. What, what the author wants him to see is his life was full of uncertainty. Where am I going? How will I get there? How is this even going to happen? How is this even possible? Why are you asking me to do this? But in that, faith family, right here, in that, when he didn't know the how, he still trusted in the who. Y'all with me? Lakeville and Sanctuary is going nuts. I heard amens all the way, miles away. He didn't know the how, and oftentimes we don't know the how. But we know the who. And if we know the who, we can trust in the how because God's promises are sure. 
Now, how do we know this? How did Abraham know this? And how can we be confident? Three quick reasons here. Number one, from all from the text, I trust, is that God's purposes will be fulfilled. God's purposes will be fulfilled. Let me show you this in the text. You're not here to just hear what Wes thinks. Look at verse 17. So when God desired to show a more, convinc- more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, the unchangeable character of his purpose. Why was Abraham able to trust in the promises of God? Why are we able to trust in the promises of God? Because we know this, ain't nothing stopping God from fulfilling his plan. Nothing, nothing can, nothing ever has, nothing ever will stop the plan and purpose of God. Egyptian armies couldn't do it. Roman authorities couldn't do it. Powers and principalities can't do it. Nothing stops the plan and purpose of God. So when God makes a promise, bank on it. He will fulfill what his purpose and plan is to do. Not only in the world, but in our lives. And that's good news. Are you encouraged yet? I ain't even done. Number two, God's purposes will not just be fulfilled, but number two, the reason why we can know that his purposes are certain is that his character is not flawed. That's really the issue between our promises and his, is that our character is flawed and we don't know, but he is perfect. Look at how the author puts it in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now skip down to verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. How is Abraham Abraham able to trust in the promises of God? How are we able to trust in the promises of God? Because uh, God's character is true. It is sure. It is not flawed. Uh, God does not. God cannot lie. He is God. Now, have you ever heard somebody try to make you believe their promise by resorting to something outside themselves? You ever heard somebody do that? I promise on my mother's grave. You ever heard that one? I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise on the Bible. I I, I swear on my grandchildren. You ever heard people? I'm not suggesting that you should do that. I'm just saying you've probably heard people do that. That's what the author is saying. Well, when God makes a promise, God says, I swear by me. I swear to God, me, you know, like because there's nothing higher than me. What am I going to ground the promise in that's greater than God? Talk about certainty. God swore by himself. He grounded the promise. Oh, somebody say preach. Not in circumstances, but in his character. You know why that's important? Because circumstances change. The character of God does not. That's why Abraham could believe. It's why we can believe. Here's the third reason, is that God's promises have never failed. God's promises have never failed. Look at verse 13 and 14 again quickly. 
For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And then it says, Thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So here's the flow of the text. Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody. God promised, he fulfilled. God promised, he fulfilled. God promised, he fulfilled. And the whole reason why the author's bringing up Abraham is to get them to say, Just look back at his resume. It's flawless. Every time that God has given a promise, he has fulfilled his promise. You can take it to the bank. You can rest with certainty on the promises of God. Let me summarize it this way. Oh, this is good. When you trust that God has your back, you won't go back. When you trust that God has your back, you won't go back. That's the real issue, is do you really believe God or not? You're in here today, you're in Lakeville Sanctuary, and you're struggling in your faith, and you wonder if you can go on, and you wonder if you can make it another day. The real issue, the fundamental issue is do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? And I'm telling you, regardless of what your feelings tell you, regardless of what your circumstances tell you, the promises of God are a sure thing. Now, what we ought to be asking at this point is, what's the promise? What's the promise? Because last time I checked, Abraham didn't walk into Berean today. And if you're here, raise your hand. I would love to let you come speak, okay? Abraham didn't walk in here today. Abraham, this is, this is not, nobody's ever emailed me and said, Pastor, you're never going to believe last night I had a vision, and God said, I'm going to be the father of many nations. My point is, that the promise given to Abraham is not the promise given to us. We are, uh, we are a part of his promises, but, but that's not the promise the author is talking about. Abraham is just an example. He's not the main point. So what's the promise? I'll tell you in a minute. Here's the second point, okay? Just a little teaser out there. Not only that Abraham is uh, an example of God's promises, but he's also an example of how to live in light of God's promises. Are you ready to come into your world right now? So here's what will manifest in our lives. Here's the characteristics that will be shown in our life when we're trusting in the promise of God. Four things quickly. Well, how I define quickly. Characteristic number one, and this just makes my skin crawl because it gets me every time. There's a reason the Lord is making me preach this four times. Characteristic number one, patience. Oh, you too. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Patience. Now, where am I getting this from the text? That's always what we ask here at Berean. Where is it in the text? Verse 15. And thus Abraham, having, say it with me, patiently waited. There it is. Which, by the way, goes back to verse 12 when it says, they by faith and patience inherited the promise. Once again, he's an example of Patience. Because you remember how the story went, don't you Hebrew Christians, don't you Bereans? Uh, Abraham got a promise at 75 years old that he was going to have a son, and nine months later, baby. That's how it worked. So it's how it always works with God, okay? You know, name it and claim it, just however you want it to come about, boom, it's there. Do you know your Bibles? Yeah, exactly. Not <laughs> try 25 years later. God fulfills the promise. And that's an important lesson for us to think. Do you think Abraham during that time wondered, God, what in the world are you doing? What was all that descendant talk, right? I thought this was going to happen. It is going to happen. But here's the lesson we got to learn. Come on, Lakeville Sanctuary. God's going to fulfill the promise, but he's going to do it according to his purpose. 
Not your purpose, his purpose. Why? Because your purpose isn't supreme in the world. God's purpose is supreme. Your purpose isn't even supreme in your own life. God's purpose is supreme in your life. Which means he's going to answer it according to his timeline, not yours. And so Abraham had to wait patiently. Like Guns N' Roses said, all you need is just a little patience. Like Aaron Rodgers said, just relax. I just threw up just a little bit right there. Anyways, Tom Petty. It's disgusting. Somebody get me some water. Uh, But Tom Petty says, the problem is waiting is the hardest part. Because, as Alabama says, I'm in a hurry and I don't know why. Guns N' Roses, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Petty, Alabama in 10 seconds. This is a gift. This is a gift. You should tell your friends. The issue is most of us hate waiting. Amen? Just be honest. Good to be honest at church. We hate waiting. Here's how I know. You ever been put on hold? How many of y'all like that? How many of you feel like this when you're put on hold? You just want to hurt somebody. Market Watch did a study. They found that people were placed on hold 10 to 20 minutes a week, 13 hours a year, and 43 days of their lifetime. Thankfully, that's not all at once. And what they found in this study is that almost everybody hated it. Whether they were on hold a minute or whether they were on hold like 10 minutes, they absolutely hated being put on hold. Can you relate? Have you ever felt like God has put you on hold? Like all you could hear in the journey of faith was elevator music. God awful music. And you're just thinking, God, what, what, what are you doing here? I, I don't understand. If you have felt that way, thank you for being honest. And also you're not alone. The Bible is full of examples like this. Let me just give you one quickly. Look at how the book of Habakkuk starts. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, it talks about the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now look at verse 2. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, God, what are you going to do something? It just feels like you're on divine vacation. You idly look at wrong. It's like you're just up there doing nothing. Have you ever felt that way? And maybe I'm weird, and it's probably because I am, but I draw great encouragement from passages like this because I feel like that a lot of times. But look at the answer that God gives Habakkuk. Remember, the complaint is, hurry up. How long until you do something? And here is the answer in chapter 2, verse 3. For still, I love this. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, by the way, God, it does. Wait for it. You get the tension there. The complaint, God, in the first place is you're taking too long. And your answer is wait. It's not the answer I wanted. I wanted do something now. And instead, what I get is, if it seems slow, wait. 
Peter addresses this as well in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, when they're all wondering about the day of the Lord, the second coming, when is Jesus going to come back, and, and why is he taking so long? Look at what he says in verse 4. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, seriously, I believe he's coming back. Hurry up. When, when's this happening? What's going on? And look at what Peter says. This is so good. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. This is a word we need this morning. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. Jot this down. When you're going through times of uncertainty, the first thing you need and the last thing you want is patience. The first thing you need and the last thing you want is patience. But remember, patience is not a character trait. It's not a, well, I'm just not a very patient person. That's not how the Bible talks about that. The Bible talks about patience this way. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. Meaning, impatience is a sign that the Holy Spirit is not working in your life. Or that you're not walking according to the Spirit. You're walking according to the flesh. Habakkuk learns this, Abraham lived this, the just shall live by faith. Right here, right here, we've got to move on. Our ability to wait on God demonstrates our faith in God and in His promises. We are patient when we trust promises. Here's the second characteristic Uh, And I'm just going to fly by this one fast because we've talked a lot about this in the book of Hebrews. But the second characteristic is endurance. Let me show you first it in the text. I've got to hurry up. Hebrews 6.18. Hebrews 6.18. Unless you want to give me two more hours. Everybody all right for that? Okay. No. Don't encourage me. All right, look at chapter 6, verse 18, and let me show you the characteristic of endurance here. Uh, It says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, uh, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Here it is, to hold fast to the hope. And this has been a, a language used a lot in the book of Hebrews. Hold fast, don't let go, keep enduring, don't give up, keep pressing forward. And so I don't want to say a lot here, but let me just say this quickly as to why endurance is a characteristic of somebody believing in the promises of God. It's because there are going to be times in your life when you fall, when you slip, when you end up flat on your face. Anybody say amen? Anybody ever been there? That's just going to happen. We are weak and we, 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 we fall on our face at times. And listen, those that quit in those moments are trusting in themselves, Those that get up and keep moving and keep pressing forward are those that are saying, this isn't about my obedience, and we're not downplaying obedience, that's a good thing, but they're saying, this isn't about my obedience, my faithfulness, it's about His faithfulness, and because it's about His faithfulness, I can keep moving forward. I don't have to let this failure be final. I don't have to let this failure be final. I don't have to let this failure be final because of the promises of God. I can hold fast to my faith because of His faithfulness. Are you with me? That's good news. That's good news. So, 
And there's, there's a whole sermon there, but if you're here today, brother, sister, Lakeville Sanctuary, if you're here and you've blown in and you've messed up and you're flat on your face, one of the signs that you actually trust in the promise of God is that today you get up. Get up and keep moving forward in your faith. Here's a third characteristic of believing and trusting in the promises of God, and that is assurance. So we know that we're trusting in the promise of God when we live a life that is assured. Verse 19. I love this imagery. Uh, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So there's the idea of assurance. It's the idea that your soul can be secure, grounded, even when the waves of life are crashing around us because the imagery of an anchor of being on the sea it's like uh, you remember the the line from the great hymn when sorrows like sea billows roll it is well with my soul when you're trusting in the promises of god that's the kind of life that you live is that when all around my soul gives way he's still all my hope and stay i have assurance Not in my circumstances, but in His promises. If you've ever been to the Niagara River or close to the falls, you may have looked across the river and noticed an old barge that's stranded there, uh, even still to this day, uh, in the water. In fact, it's been there since 1918. Uh, There was a man by the name of Gustav, a good feeding guy, and his his friend James. They were they were on the barge being pulled along by a tugboat, and they came across or they ran across a sandbar that snapped the cord between the tugboat and the barge, and so the barge just starts drifting aimlessly in the rapid currents. It's got nothing to steer it, nothing to drive it. It has absolutely no way of stopping itself from just going over the falls. And they are headed towards the falls, uh, and, and these men begin to panic because they know if they go over the falls, it's death. If they go over the falls, that's it. And so uh, they, they really believe death is just a few moments away. And all of a sudden, they start to hear kind of a dragging noise. And then it's like out of nowhere, the barge just stopped. And they didn't know how much time they had. It could start going again at any moment. And so they did the only thing they knew to do that could save them in that moment. They dropped the anchor. And it held them there for 17 hours until they could be rescued. In fact, it's still there Today, a hundred years later. Faith family, listen to me this morning. Who's your anchor? Who's your anchor? What's the anchor of your life? Your marriage? Your faith family? Your friends from high school? Those are all good things, but they will all fail you. Jesus never fails. If you want assurance, you need Jesus. In fact, I'll say it this way, notice it on the screen, that until you learn to trust the promises of God, you will never experience the peace of God. Fourth characteristic, quickly, fourth characteristic is not just uh, patience and endurance and assurance, it's finally confidence. Confidence. Oh, I, there's a whole message here, but we'll come back to this in, 
Hebrews. Uh, Look at verse 9 quickly. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure, we feel confident of better things, things that belong to salvation. In fact, really, the whole, one of the whole themes of the book of Hebrews is to boost their confidence to keep moving forward in their faith. Let me teach this by an illustration, okay? So everybody zone in right here. I want you thinking with me. Imagine that you have to have a heart transplant. You need a new heart. And you do your research in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area and you pick the doctor that you think is the best doctor. And just before the surgery, a friend asks you, how confident do you feel about this? And you say, I'm pretty confident. I mean, I'm as confident as I can be, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that this will go well. And then the surgery happens and you have a new heart and you experience the, 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 the benefits of that and the life change that comes from that, the way you feel, the way your life is different. And now your confidence is as high as it could possibly be because you've experienced it. You know it, you're confident in it, but somewhere along the line, your confidence begins to wane. You really wonder, did the surgery really take? Did the surgeon really do a good job? And because of all that doubting, uh, you just become lazy. You don't attempt anything. You don't step out and do any types of risk because you really aren't sure that the surgery took. And so you go back to the doctor and the doctor says this. Is everybody listening? The doctor says this. If you live in fear... You will miss out on the life the surgery was intended to give you. If that's how you're going to live, you didn't need the surgery. In other words, Christian, you have been given a new heart by the great physician. Amen? And you've experienced that life change. You've experienced that it was real. So why are you sluggish and lazy and crippled by fear when the entire reason you were given new life was to live? Jesus didn't didn't give you abundant life to live afraid. Be confident in Christ. Don't sit around doubting your security. Here's an idea. Go live in it. That's the pastoral urgency of this letter. I mean, look at what you have and the promises of God. Do you need any more confidence than a cross? Man, if you're going to live in fear and have one foot in, one foot out, why do you even need faith? Why did you even need the surgery if all you're going to do is sit on the couch? You were given the new life to live. That's a life, trusting in the promises of God. It's confident, not in ourselves, but confident in God. So what's the text telling us? God is faithful. He's sure in his promises. And when we really believe that, we're patient. We endure. We have assurance, an anchor in our soul. And we're confident because of that assurance to live. So here's the question. What's the promise? Because you're not Abraham. This promise that he gave to Abraham isn't the promise that was given to you. So what is the promise. Look at it. Verse 19. We have this. 
a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a great high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So you ready for the promise? This is, this is going to be so good. You ready for some good news? Can you feel the energy? You feel the excitement? You ready for, here it is. The promise that you're given is that Jesus is a priest out of the order of Melchizedek. Yes! To which most of us respond like this. We're just kind of like, why well, don't have a clue what that means? A Mel Kissa who I've never heard this name in my life. I, you gave all this buildup for that? Well, you may not understand Melchizedek, and if you don't, I encourage you to come back because he's going to be a major theme in the next chapter. But let me just give you a clue as to the promise that's behind that because what I just said is actually incredible news and incredible promise. So let me translate what the author is saying back to verse 20. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest, I need everybody to say the next word. Forever. Everybody say it. Forever. Lakeville, sanctuary, everybody. Forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek will show us what the forever means later. But let me tell you the point now. Here's the question. Notice it on the screen. How can I know my salvation will be there in the end? Where can I find this assurance? How can I know that my faith will make it to the end? Here it is. You can know that your salvation will be there in the end because Jesus will be there in the end. In other words, Jesus isn't going anywhere. He is a forever high priest, meaning his work is finished forever. It's done. He's seated at the right hand of God. And here's what you can know. You can be patient to the end, endure to the end, be assured to the end, have confidence to the end because God has given you a promise. Jesus is going to intercede for you until the end. Jesus, yeah, come on. If you're excited, you can get excited. You ought to be excited because that's an incredible promise. Because Jesus ain't stepping down. You ain't going back. You ain't going back, Christian, because he's a forever high priest. Your confidence is in Christ who is in the seat of a high priest forever. What a promise. What a promise. Let's say these words as the great hymn says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I what? Wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. 
His oath, His covenant, His blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. And when He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found. Dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. If you know it, say it. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Because all other ground is sinking sand. Who's your anchor? Who's your anchor? What is the confidence and assurance that you have in your life? My dear friend, if it is anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, it will not hold. Because those things are temporary Jesus is forever. And you say, how do I get that anchor? I'm so glad I'm at church today. Are you kidding me? I want that anchor. I need an anchor because my life is full of broken promises. Can I get the anchor? Yeah, you can get the anchor. Here's how you get the anchor. Just as Abraham stepped out in faith, today you need to step out in faith. Not believing that God is going to give you a son, but believing that God has already given you his son. By a perfect life, death on the cross, resurrection from the grave, and now seated at the right hand of God. Do you believe? Can you trust him? I close with this. You know, this group of Hebrew Christians... Here in this book, it's not the only group of Hebrew Christians that ever struggled with uncertainty in life. Hang with me, Lakeville Sanctuary, listen, listen. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die. That he's going to face a cross and everything becomes uncertain. But we left everything to follow you. And and what about this? And what about that? And what are we going to do? And and out of all this uncertainty of a future in life and all of that, Jesus gives them a promise. Here it is. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be right here in the face of uncertainty. Jesus has made us this promise. You ready? Here it is. My father and I have not built you a fort. We've prepared you a kingdom. And when you get to the end, it will be there for you in the end. And where I am, you will forever be, I promise. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this passage this morning to be able to to learn and be encouraged by Uh, and I just pray if there is somebody here in all of our locations that if they have never trusted in the promise of God for salvation I pray that today would be that day that they would stop trusting in themselves stop trusting in the things of this life and trust you for eternal life 
And if there's somebody here that is a Christian, but uh, through these characteristics, they've seen that maybe they've not really been living by faith. They've been living a lot more by fear. I just pray that you would encourage them, encourage them deeply by your promise that we have in Christ. It's not the promise of Abraham's son, Isaac. It's the promise of your ultimate son, Jesus. That's the ultimate promise that we can bank our life on. So encourage us to live by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.